One, two, one, two. Thank you, Rob. And a great word there to start us off. Um, so I just want to welcome everyone again. Good to see some new faces and some old ones as well. So we just want to have a good time tonight. Um, if you didn't receive one or you did, just uh, hopefully you got a connect card when you came in. Just fill that out. Bring it to the coffee shop. We'd love to bless you with a free cappuccino and just to get to know you a little bit more and find out how we can serve you. Um, just before I start, we want to say a quick goodbye. We said goodbye to her this morning, but we want to make sure we say good, we do as many goodbyes as possible. Hey, it's important to say goodbye to someone, um, and uh, we're going to miss them. So Tamsin, can you just stand up? I won't, I won't bring you here, don't worry. <laughs> you've, you've done the duty this morning, but just so everyone knows, Tamsin uh, has been with us for a year. She was studying in Australia. She's going back for another two years, and uh, she's sad. Jono's even more sad, um, as he should be. Um, but we want to pray for you and bless you, and you take us with you where, where you go. So let's just stretch out our hands to Tamsin. Father, we, we thank you, Lord, for Tamsin, her heart, and her love for you. And um, we just, I just want to thank you, Lord, for, for you know, the gifts that you've given Tamsin, uh, the, the tenderness that she serves with, the, the love and care for people. We thank you for what she's been to us in this year. And we pray as she goes back, Lord, that there's healing, that there is transformation, that there's freedom, that she brings us, she brings what you've done here in her back to Perth. And uh, we bless her and we fill her with your goodness and your grace as she travels. In Jesus' name, amen. Probably some of us are thinking, geesh, can I go to Perth instead of Tamsin, huh? One day, guys. Jokes. We want to stay in South Africa. Amen? Hey, come on. Um, so we are looking at the series of freedom, and Rob kicked us off last uh, week in the evening, and uh, we wanted to kind of get into this, what does freedom look like, and uh, really try and pack it. I think it's a brilliant way to start the year, and uh, we don't want to always look at it just from one angle. We want to try and see what is the Lord saying to us, how can we engage, and how can we start to live free lives? Who wants to live a free life? Hey, everyone wants to live a free life. Come on. We want boom. Yes. Amen. If I say boom more than five times, please put up your hand and tell me. We're trying to take, we're trying to load that down. But there is one or two booms coming. Okay. Um, but freedom starts with laying down our lives, taking up the, co the, co the cross and the cost and uh, denying ourselves. And last week in the morning, I unpacked a little bit about that. So don't worry, I'm not going to do it again uh, if you were here then. But for us, sometimes we don't see freedom and cost in the same sentence. Because in the world, it doesn't seem like that. The world, we gain freedom by getting as much for myself. The more I can get for me, the more free I feel. Whereas in the kingdom sense, in the church, in the understanding of what uh, Jesus teaches, as we lay down our lives, as we give away, as we count the cost, as we deny ourselves, that is actually the secret to freedom. Um, and we see that in our world today. Not pure, complete, but forms or, or little aspects or symptoms of freedom by laying down your life. Think of it in this way. You can only gain freedom in a relationship, or in other words, a marriage, if you lay down part of your life, right? You can't pick exactly the type of person you want. You can't pick exactly what they will do. You can't pick exactly how they will love you. 
you, you find someone that you fall in love with and you lay down your life to serve them, right? And as you lay down your life, as you lay down yourself, two people become one and you experience freedom. You experience marriage and relationship. Another one, there's freedom in having, in, in, in having children, right? Uh, what do I mean? I mean, if you want to have children one day, if you want to have a family, if you want to see that, you've got to lay down a part of your life and your money and your energy and your sleeping, all of those things, if you want the freedom of children and family. And so we understand it sometimes, but they're not pure forms, but we have to lay down our lives in certain ways to experience freedom in this world. And it's the same with um, with Jesus. And Jesus is adamant about this cost. And I, don't, I just want to touch on a little bit of what I looked at last week, and then we're going to get into some good stuff. So just turn with me, if you can, to Luke chapter 9, and I want to see what Jesus says about this whole self-denial, taking up your cross. Uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 23, and Jesus says, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross daily, not once, hey? Not come to the altar, give your life to Jesus, and then carry on your life following him the way you want to. Take up your cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And Jesus goes on in Luke chapter 9, verse 57, and he goes on in Luke chapter 14, and there are verses all around where he's just denying people, saying, it's not about yourself. It's not about what you can gain. It's not about taking it off yourself. It's about laying your life down. In chapter 14, the, Jesus is walking and he has crowds following him. And he doesn't go and starts putting them into house churches and starts a church plant movement. He goes and he says, what are you guys doing? Have you counted the cost? Because if, if you can't count the cost, you cannot follow me. He's adamant, clear, simple. You've got to lay down your life. But there's a reason for it. And one asks the question, why is Jesus so adamant about the cost? Well, we see it in a lot of places, but ultimately, Jesus insists on denying yourself because there's a greater reward when you do that. He insists on denying yourself, laying yourself down, paying the cost, because when you begin to understand that, when you begin to realize that, it's not that I give myself and I gain more. It's not like a transaction necessarily. It's when you begin to lay down your life, you begin to realize the pressure's not on me. When you begin to lay down your life, you can only realize that it's not up to me when I begin to lay something down, right? If I'm holding onto something, I still believe it's up to me. The moment I let go and I can see that the car is still driving, hopefully someone else is still on the wheel, but the moment I see that it's still going, I realize it's not up to me. Only when we lay down our lives, when we deny ourselves, when we take up the cross, when we give up our way and follow Jesus' way, do we realize the pressure is not on me. And I begin to experience freedom. Because wow, it's not up to me to have to make sure that everything works. It's up to Jesus. And so freedom begins to form because I'm not trying to find what to do for myself. I'm serving him. And so he's just filling me. The cost that Jesus is talking about is not so much about me giving up my good stuff, but rather the cost is trying to show me that it's not up to me. And so 
What I really wanted us to do tonight is begin to try and discover or try to figure out, is this true? Because I can say it, and it can sound amazing, and we can walk out of here kind of believing it for the next five minutes, but tomorrow morning, go back to our same way. But only when we begin to understand and begin to actually see, is this true? That when we lay down our lives, does something happen? Do we realize, wow, it's not up to me anymore, and transformation begins to take place. I want to take us to a character called Peter. And Peter was a bold man. And we know him best for walking on water. We know him best for doing a lot of crazy, wild things. Um, But Peter did a lot of mistakes. If you know anything about Peter, he was always the oak with his foot in the mouth. If you mean, if I mean in that way, if you understand what I'm trying to say. In my terms, it's called botching it up. Peter botched up everything left, right, center when it came to following Jesus. How do I know this? I want to just show you three examples of many of what Peter did wrong. So first of all, Matthew chapter 16, verse 23. Some of us know the story. Some of us don't. Peter rebukes Jesus. He says to Jesus, hey, Jesus, you're not going to do that. I'm going to do that. You can't do that. That's not your place. And what does Jesus do? He turns around and he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now, if your boss or your house church leader or connect group leader or one of your pastors ever turned around and said, get behind me, Satan, I I don't know what you would do. Most of us would leave the church, eh? But here it is, Peter's following Jesus and his, his, his leader, his role model, the person he loves, is calling him Satan. Botching it up. John chapter 18, we know, some of us know the story. Jesus is about to get arrested, he's about to go to the cross, the soldiers come, they're about to arrest him. What does Peter do? It's my moment to shine. I'm going to defend Jesus. He probably sees the opportunity. He's like, these soldiers have nothing on us. We have daggers and swords. So he pulls it out, cuts off the oak's ear. What does Jesus do? He says, what are you doing? I'm not here to fight a battle. And he picks up the ear and heals the guy. And he says to Peter, what's wrong with you? You know, botching it up. Again, my last one, Luke chapter 22 This is a really important one. Peter says to to Jesus, just before this moment, he says, Jesus, wherever you go, I will never deny you. I will follow you wherever you go. I am your faithful servant. I am the greatest disciple. Whatever you do, I will do. And a few hours later, what happens? He denies Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. He basically says, that oak that everyone's talking about, I have nothing to do with. He denies Jesus. So he's not your ideal person. He's not your prim, proper kind of guy that you think would be a follower of Jesus, a Christian. He messes it up left, right, center. And it's basically because he comes down to, he thinks that it's all up to him. Every single moment that he has these opportunities, he falls into this mode that he thinks, Jesus is teaching me, and my job is now to take what Jesus has done and make sure that I do it right. And that's why he's botching it up. That's why he's messing it up, left, right, and center. Because he, and it's like us. What we do is we learn something about Jesus, 
We walk out and we think, okay, I now know this truth. Now I need to hold on to it and try really hard because it's up to me to make sure that this thing works, right? I've got to do this right because I now know it. I have to, I, something has to change in me. Peter has this gospel in his mind that he thinks it's up to him to get it done. Then I want to fast forward us all the way to Acts chapter 3. And uh, I want to reveal or show just a little different personality, a different type of Peter. Uh, Acts chapter 3. Peter has just preached a sermon at Pentecost, and they're walking into the temple, and they see a lame man there. And this lame man who's on the floor who thinks that Peter's now going to give him some money, and Peter looks at him, and Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took up him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And then what happens after this, uh, they have this big discussion about what Peter's done, and they arrest Peter and John for all that he's done. But then interestingly, in chapter 4, Verse 13, it says, now when they saw, and these are the Pharisees, these are the people in the temple, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. So we're talking about the guy who's botched up everything, right? He couldn't get anything right. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived what they, that they were uneducated, common men. It's a nice way of just saying they were good for nothing. Uneducated common men. They were astonished, and they recognized they had been with Jesus. So we get this completely now different picture of Pete, if I can call him that. We've got the the really messed up, making mistakes, Peter, and then fast forward to Acts. Jesus died, resurrected, gone to heaven. The church is beginning to start, and we see this bold, calm, assured Peter. And he says to the guy, look, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, I'll give to you, and I'll give you Jesus, and be healed. I wonder what Peter would have done in that moment if it was back in Luke. And he picks up this guy, and he's bold, and he gets arrested, and he's still calm, and they say, here are two common men who are uneducated, but their boldness astonishes them. And it says they perceived and they see that they must have been with Jesus. And so Peter, of a completely different character now, he understood he didn't have to force it. He understood that he didn't have to do it in his own strength anymore. He understood that he didn't have to try and manipulate and control and make it up. He could just trust Jesus. I don't have it, but I have Jesus. You guys can do whatever you like to me, but I've got Jesus. There's a boldness, there's a surety. He had understood that the pressure was not on him anymore. He had realized something in his mind. It's not up to me to make things happen. It's not up to me to force things. That as I lay my life down, as I give up, and as I give to Jesus, count the cost, Jesus comes in and takes over, and he is my strength. This is what Peter begins to understand. And so the real question, the real thing that we should be asking ourselves is, how does Peter in Luke 
become Peter in Acts? How does that happen? How does a, a, a messy, just all over the place, trying to control everything Peter, become this sure, bold Peter? So I want to, let's, we want to sit um, to this evening and end off just with uh, John chapter 21. And uh, this is the encounter eventually that Peter has with Jesus that I, I believe was a turning point in Jesus' life that for us, if we can grasp this, not only do we understand that we need to lay down our lives, Jesus is adamant about laying down our life for the sake of freedom, but it's not just that truth of understanding that, but it's how do I know that I, if I lay down my life, I will believe that the pressure will be off. That we see it. We see it physically happen in Peter's life. How can we know what happens to Peter? Well, I believe there's a bit of a turning point here in John chapter 1. So here we go. John chapter 1 verse, verse 2. Simon Peter. So there we go. That's our guy. Thomas, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. So really, we're hearing a frustrated, annoyed, kind of giving up type of Peter. Now, this is the in-between stage. Eh? Between the Luke and the Acts, we get this, this type of, of Peter. He's frustrated. He's annoyed. He wants to just give up. Kind of sounds like a lot of us. They said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat but that night they caught nothing. Now, if you remember, when Jesus called them all, he said, stop fishing for, for fish and fish for men. But they've gone back to fishing for fish. They've kind of given up on the goal. they kind of laid it down. And it's important to see, because it doesn't mean that we have to be built up and, and confident and assured about ourselves for Jesus to move. That's, an, that's a freebie. Um, and all the other ones get in the boat with them, but they catch nothing. You know, these guys are fishermen, and they can't catch anything. They need to change their job. But verse 4, just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. I mean, how did they not know that it was Jesus? They haven't caught anything, and they see Jesus on the shore, and they still can't recognize him. I think John is trying to help us understand that these are very common people, very much like us. That there's nothing special about these guys. They can't catch a fish, even though they're fishermen. They can't see Jesus, even though they spent three years with him. They weren't the best of the best. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. Finally, someone realized. Then when Simon Peter heard this, that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. Now, I don't understand this part of the story either. You know, you're fishing and you've got nothing on, and then you see Jesus, and to go get him, you put on your outer garment to get in the water. It doesn't really make sense, right? Like you don't put on your clothes to go swim. You kind of should be taking off your clothes to go swim. But Peter is he's another type of character here. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, 
but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And then I want to jump down to verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So we're trying to now understand here, what was the changing point in Peter's life for him to go from trying to do it in his own strength to realizing that it's not up to me and then to have a transformed outlook and life in, in his way of living in Acts. And so there's two first that we see. Firstly, Jesus, when he begins to, and after he's fishing and he sees Jesus and he puts his clothes on and he jumps in, he begins to realize that Jesus is the provider. Right? That Jesus He does provide, that he hasn't uh, run away, that he hasn't left them, that he's there for them. Jesus is the provider. He realizes, wow, they throw over the net 153 fish. They say uh, that many fish was the worth of about six months' worth of fishing for a fisherman because their boat was overflowing, which means they didn't ever build boats big enough to catch that many fish because they never, ever assumed that they would catch that, that amount. So Jesus is providing in ways of like never, ever seen before. So Jesus gets this. Wow. Peter gets this. Wow. He's a provider. And then you see this encounter. Peter, do you love me? He says, yeah, I do love you. Of course. But Peter, do you love me? Of course you love me. But Peter, do you love me? Three times. And so we know that the three denials of, of, of Peter in the temple and Luke, we see that kind of Jesus is trying to restore that. And he's trying to affirm like, Peter, what you've done, let it go, because now I'm forgiving you. I'm letting it go. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. And he's letting this thing go. So Jesus, Peter begins to encounter Jesus not only as a provider, but as a restorer. So he understands this. Wow, Jesus, you see what's happening? Jesus, you're a provider. You, You can do a lot of things. Jesus, you're a restorer. You don't only just leave me where I'm at, but you you start you begin to forgive me and restore me back to where I was. But this is not the most important one because those two are also just rewards. And often in our lives, we stop there and we'll look and we go, okay, if I give up this, I will be rewarded with this. And we never, ever get the places that we should be. We don't ever experience the kind of freedom that we could because we're playing this Christian walk, in my opinion, like a chess game. You know, Jesus, if I give you that part of this relationship, then you should bless me with that. And it doesn't work like that. Because these are two rewards. And so it's not the rewards. Hear me out. If you hear nothing else tonight, it's not the rewards that should attract us to giving up our lives so that we can see freedom. It's the third one. And this is what what Peter, I think, 
once he understood this, once he grasped this, it changed his life. Not only did he see Jesus the provider, not only I think did he see Jesus as the restorer, I think he saw Jesus most importantly as the committed one. He understood, wow, Jesus can restore me, Jesus can provide for me, but Jesus is not only a restorer and a provider, Jesus is committed to the end. There is nothing that I can do. There is nothing. Peter understood in this encounter, he understood there is nothing that I can do to get away from this guy. I can go back to my day job. It's not going to distract me. It's not going to make me run away from his love. I can rebuke him and deny him. I can cut off ears. He can, I can even do something that gets Jesus so frustrated that he calls me Satan. I can do anything to Jesus, but nothing, nothing is enough for Jesus to let go of me and say, okay, that's enough. How do we know this? How has Peter clicked? Verse 15, when Jesus is asking these questions, it's, like, it's almost like we read it with a judgmental point of view from Jesus' perspective. Like, do you love me? Like, come on, what's wrong with you? And we kind of believe, and I think, I think sometimes, guys, I think we, we're following Jesus like he's, he's always judging us. You're like, oh, come on, David. Like, what's wrong with you, my bro? Like, get on with it. Do you love me? Like, if you love me, you should get on with it. That's, and that's not. That's not the, 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 the feeling or the understanding, I think, that Jesus is trying to bring here. What he's trying to do is he sits down with Peter, and he says to me, hey, Jesus, hey, hey, Peter, do you love me more than these guys? And Peter looks at him and says, yeah, I love you. And, uh, and Jesus asks him again. He says, okay, let's try it this way. Like, Jesus, uh, Peter, do you love me? He says, like, yeah, I love you. I, I do love you. He says, okay, let me try it this way. He says, Peter, do you love me? Like, do you really Love me. And I think what Jesus is trying to do by repeating over and over, he's trying to affirm, he's trying to uh, in, in input something into Peter's heart. He's saying, Peter, I'm not coming here to bash you around. I'm not coming here to beat you up. I'm not coming here to say over and over again, look, this is all the mistakes you've made. And that's what we do. That's how we operate, that's how we treat people in our fleshly, sinful desire. He's saying, Peter, do you love me? And he's trying to over and over emphasize this whole thing. Peter, I love you. Peter, I love you. And I'm trying to help you see, Peter, do you love me? Because I love you so much. And Peter, it's not about how much you can do for me because you're doing everything wrong. And it's not about how strong you are or how much you know because you're actually an uneducated common man. But it's about, do you love me? Because it's not about the stuff. It's not about being strong. It's about love. He's not judging Peter. He's saying, I love you, Peter, with every single fiber of my body. I love you so much. Do you see that love? Because when you begin to love someone, you begin to see the love they have for you. And in that moment, I think, boom, there it is. Boom. It hits him in the chest. Because he doesn't respond the same way he always responds. He responds differently the third time. 
Peter was grieved because of, of how he said, asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, now this is a different one, Lord, you know everything. Now the first two responses was, I do love you. Ah, it's me. I love you. I, I'm, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to do And the third time, it was like this realization, whoa, Jesus, you know everything. It was a profound moment. I'm, going to, I'm reading into it a little bit, but I think it was a profound moment for Peter because he realized it's not about me having to try and like fall in love with Jesus or do my best. Oh, Jesus, please. Please, let, can, can you just like forget all that stuff so that I can love you and you can fall in love with me? He realized in that moment, Jesus knows everything. And I think he was freed. He was freed for a moment. Jesus, you know everything. And it was like this profound moment. Like When we begin to experience that, that is the cost. That's why we lay down our lives. Because when we lay down our lives, when we give it daily to Jesus, the encounter, the experience, what we begin to realize is we realize he knows everything. And when we realize he knows everything, we can believe and we can be strong and we can know for surety that we can go out there and we can trust him because it's not up to me. Because when I believe it's up to me, I will always try and control. I'll always try and get. When I believe it's not up to me, I'm going to live with freedom. If I get it or not, Jesus is in control. Jesus, the creator of the world, lives in me. And so I can live the rest of my life. I can begin to experience and begin to walk and begin to understand more and more freedom because it's not the pressure is not on my shoulders. Now that's what Peter, I think, began to encounter and experience. It's not up to me. And so when I begin to lay down my life, even when I make mistakes, and I think that's why John keeps recording how terrible these people are, because he's trying to show each one of us, it's not the best of the best that get this. It's the most common. It's the most uneducated. It's, the, it's sometimes the least of the least. And if that's the spectrum, we fall somewhere in the spectrum. And so we can be encouraged. We can make every mistake. We can be common, we can be uneducated, we can be the best or we can be the, the worst. In any circumstance, we can believe it's not up to us. Our job, lay it all down. His job is to transform our lives. And when I, I have to lay it all down so that I begin to see Jesus knows everything. And when I begin to realize Jesus knows everything, I probably forget, but then I've got to remember again, Jesus knows everything, and that is the life of a disciple. That's the life of living with freedom. You forget and you remind yourself, it's about Jesus. He takes my burdens. He will restore me. He will heal me. And that's how freedom, it's not just an instant boom, I'm changed now. So that's why you say, why, why doesn't Jesus just change me right now in this worship time? We, we, he, he might, but he might not because he wants to also teach us how to live this life out. Following him is more important than just the power. And so as, I, as we end off, uh, that's, that's really it. That's the understanding. Um, and if we, if we see Peter, if we understand, there's only three short little things that Peter does. There's only three little things that he does, and they're very small. He's devoted. The moment he's fishing and he realizes it's Jesus, 
he's, he gets on his cloak, which is funny, but he gets on his cloak and he jumps in the water. He's just devoted to Jesus. He takes a lot of risks. He gets in the water when he walks in the water and he falls, but he's there and he's with Jesus and he's trying hard and he cuts off the guy's ear and he makes a lot of mistakes, but he's there. He takes risks. He's devoted and he's teachable. And so I want to encourage us tonight, if we are teachable, we're willing to learn, if we're going to take risk and step out and say, Jesus, I'm here and I want to lay down this stuff, and if we are willing to be devoted, where are you? I want to be present to your, to your kingdom. I want to be present to your presence. If we are devoted, taking risks and teachable, we are prime to become followers of Jesus. We are prime to begin to lay down our lives. We are prime to begin to realize it's not up to me. We're prime to begin to experience and live in freedom. Okay, so let's stand. And uh, we're going to worship now. And my heart, I mean, for all of us at Founds, but I, I really, I really want to, um, we're praying for this evening service, and we're really praying that we can use this space for soaking and for training. And so it's a place that we can just be ourselves. It's a place that we can just lay down our lives and say, Jesus, come and have your way. Laying down and soaking, but also a place of training, taking risks, devoting yourself, getting up. So if, if people come up to share a word and you think that's for you, just respond. Respond the way that you want to respond. If you get something, you get a picture, you get a word, come up and share, take a risk. Use this place to train. It's not, we're not here just to do a service, an orderly thing, and then go and drink coffee and carry on our lives. We had to learn and encounter and begin to lay down our lives for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of freedom. So why don't we put out our hands if you want to join me and we just, we just want to welcome his presence right now. Jesus, we, we love your presence. We love what you're doing amongst us. And we just want to encounter you tonight. Father, we want to lay down our lives. We want to lay down our lives for you. We want to lay down our lives for you. And for you, maybe tonight, as we worshiping, the laying down that the Lord is calling you is to just lay down the things that are on your mind, the things that are taking up energy and space right now for Him. For some of us, I believe, I think we, we think once this is finished, if this is over, once I understand this or I, I get that, then I'll begin to worship Jesus more. But it's, we don't find freedom when it's over. We find freedom in it. And so I believe that the Lord is wanting you to step out and you're stepping out is just saying, I'm not going to be led by that now. I'm going to lay it down for the king. My prayer tonight is we're just free. You are free. If you want to come up and dance, you come and dance. If you want to come and respond, you respond. If you want to come and share a word that the Lord has got you, just do that. We are free to train and to take risks and to soak and to worship the Lord in this space. Jesus, I pray that you would just meet us right now in this place, that you would remind each and every one of us it's not 
up to me. It's not up to me. The pressure's off to me to become the, the person, even for you, Jesus. It's not up to me to try and prove to you or please you or become the best disciple for you. My job is to become less. My job is to lay down. My job is to allow you. So let freedom reign as we worship. Freedom reign. The pressure of being that person. Let it go. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.